Good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to another service at Warden Full Gospel Assembly as we continue our series in the Beatitudes. I need to mention before we get started this morning that today is the last Sunday that our worship leader will be with us. Keith Rajkumar is moving to Australia this next week, and he is going to continue his studies um, at University in Adelaide, Australia, and he is leaving on Thursday. So um, if you have enjoyed him, please take the opportunity to show your appreciation to him today. If you're online, why don't you give him a shout out and tell him how much you have appreciated his ministry over the past nine months that he has been leading our worship experience. But we also pray that God would continue to bless him abundantly um, in his new endeavors in Australia. God bless you, Keith. As I mentioned a few moments ago, we are in the series in the book of Matthew, the Beatitudes, an eight-part series which gives us some keys to a blessed life. If you want to live a blessed life of God, these are extremely important keys that we need to embrace. These eight verses, I believe, are probably the most important verses in a message that ever was preached, and it was preached by Jesus himself. And Jesus says, this is the third key of God blessing your life. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Here's the third key. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Now, we don't really understand. We don't understand what it really means to be humble in our culture today. In our culture today, we think humility means weakness. We don't hear much about humility in our fast-paced, ego-driven, social media culture. Yet God says, God explicitly says, that the humble are actually the strongest people on the planet. The weak people are actually those who are arrogant. The weak people are actually those who exhibit pride. The weak people are those who are pushy and rude. The weak people are actually the ones who are mean and gossip. The truly strong people in this life, on this earth, are those who are humble and gentle. Real humility, the Bible says, is not weakness. Rather, it's strength under control. Now, if you want a definition of what humility is, you can look on the screen at home or here in the sanctuary. You discover that humility is a quality of being courteously respectful of others. It is the opposite of aggressiveness, arrogance, boastfulness, and vanity. Humility is strength under control. Now, humility, as I just mentioned a few moments ago, doesn't mean that you are weak. It doesn't mean that you are somehow the doormat allowing other people to walk all over you. 
True humility means you're not overreacting, but there is strength, there's an inner resolve that you are in control in spite of the circumstances that you may be experiencing in life. The word humility in the Bible is used and describes a wild stallion that has been tamed. Now, if you go into the fields and you go into the hills and you find yourself a wild stallion that is unbridled, it has enormous strength. That stallion can easily rear up, kick you, and probably kill you. But if that stallion is stable and you tame that stallion, then that stallion's strength is brought under control. A tamed horse is no less weak than a wild horse. A tamed horse is no less strong than a wild horse. A tamed horse has just as much strength and goes just as fast as a wild horse. But a tamed horse is a gentle horse. A tamed horse is a humble horse. It's a horse who has its strength under control. And that bottled up strength that is under control is available for the master to use and now that horse becomes useful. So today I want, to, I want us to look at the strength of humility. This third key of living a life that is blessed of God. And specifically, I want to give you six benefits that this quality of humility will bring into your life. If you truly embrace what Jesus is saying here in this message in Beatitudes, how this, the, these benefits, this quality of humility will benefit your life. Because learning how to be humble is immensely important in order to have the blessing of God on your life. The first thing that the Bible teaches us is that humility diffuses conflict. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. You see, what the Bible is describing for us is that humility disescalates dis anger. Humility is the antidote to anger. Have you ever noticed this human tendency that is to mimic the emotions of people that are opposite us. For example, if somebody is angry at you, there's a tendency to mimic that anger and you get angry back. If somebody is upset, you also get upset. If somebody is depressed and you are around a depressed person long enough, you will also get depressed. If somebody is energetic and you're around that energetic person, you are also going to get energized. The reason for this is that all of us have mirror neurons in our brains that allows us to mirror back what people feel. So what actually happens is that when somebody raises their voice against you, you automatically begin to raise your voice back. And as the voices get higher and more intense, pretty soon you escalate into a screaming match. Here's, here's a little tip that will save you and save us a lot of problems and a lot of heartache when we encounter conflict in our life. 
when people raise their voices against you, you lower your voice. When people raise their voice, you need to learn to automatically lower your voice. That's called strength under control. Humility. Meaning when emotions start rising up and getting out of control, you lower your emotions and you don't mimic the situation at hand. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 4 says, If your boss is angry at you, don't quit. A quiet spirit can overcome even great mistakes. In other words, when your boss, when your boss rips on you and really gets mad at you, realize, first of all, that it may not have anything to do with you at all. Maybe they're, they're getting pressure from upper management. Maybe they're dealing with a bad situation in their home life. Maybe they've received a bad medical report that very day, and now they're venting on you simply because you're the closest person to them. And many times it has nothing to do with you. Yet the Bible is saying in those moments, hang in there and promote a gentle, quiet spirit. Here's another thing, another quality of humility. Humility disarms critics. Anytime you do anything in life, you will experience critics. If you don't do anything, nobody is going to criticize you. The only way not to be criticized is to do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. In life, all of us, you will experience people who will gossip against you. Whether it's at work, at school, in your neighborhood, people will malign you. People will say bad things against you and about you. When you or somebody criticizes you on social media, they're trying to troll you, trying to hook you in, trying to put you on the defensive hoping and maybe anticipating that you're going to respond back to them in anger and maybe be a little bit combative. But you cannot allow, you cannot allow people to pull you into conflict. Because somebody is going to say something to you on Instagram or Google Plus or Facebook or Twitter, and if you respond, they're going to continually ramp it up. 1 Corinthians, look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us. Yet we are treated like world's garbage, like everybody's trash, right up to this present moment. In other words, we don't retaliate. Do you know what the Apostle Paul is saying here? The Apostle Paul is saying when you respond gently, even when evil things, are said about you. You respond gently. And here's the point. When you respond gently in humility, it disarms critics. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and verse 25. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. 
You see what the Bible is encouraging us? The Bible is encouraging us not to quarrel, not to engage in arguments with anybody. Does that mean that we can't quarrel and argue with people of other religions? Absolutely. Does it include people who are atheists? We're, we're supposed to treat them gently? Absolutely. Does it include people whose lifestyle you may not agree with? Absolutely. The admonition of the Lord to us through the Scripture is that we are to be kind and gentle with everybody. And that we don't re retaliate in any shape, fashion, or form to somebody. We never, ever fight back with our critics. What the Bible is saying is that humility disarms critics. So we need to constantly, church, we need to constantly pray and ask God to give us tougher skins and a tender and gentle heart so that when people say stuff, when they criticize and they say unkind things about us, that it rolls off of our back and that we, in spite of what is being said against us, continually express kindness and gentleness towards them. Here's the third way that humility will bless your life. Humility is persuasive. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 15 says, Patience can persuade a prince and soft speech can break bones. In other words, gentle speech breaks down the rigid defenses. I love what the New Century version of this verse says. It says, a gentle word can get through to the hard-hearted. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 21. The wise are known for their understanding, and pleasant words are persuasive. Now, if you have your Bibles and you're following along and you open this verse, I want you to take a moment and circle that word pleasant and circle that word persuasive. If you want to persuade people to your idea, to buy your product if you are in sales, or to engage your service if you provide a service to somebody, to embrace even the faith, if you want people to embrace your faith or anything else, you must be pleasant. That's what the Scriptures are describing for us. The more pleasant your words, the more persuasive you become. Now, I can stand on this stage behind this pulpit every Sunday, and I can say, say to you as a congregation, I can say, let me tell you some things that you are doing wrong. And I, in my manner of speaking, I can become very belligerent and angry and demeaning and become very shaming towards people. If I did that, how would you respond to me? What would you do if I was that kind of a speaker? Probably you would build up emotional barriers against me and most likely you would, start not, you would stop coming to church. See, nagging and berating people doesn't work. It doesn't work from the pulpit. It doesn't work in your home. It doesn't work in your place of employment. All it does, when you berate people and when you, when you are belligerent and angry in your speech, all that it does 
is it creates fear and resentment in the person that you are communicating to. People then become defensive. If you're a parent, screaming at your child never works. You should never discipline in anger. You should never discipline a child in frustration and scream at them. If you're in, if you're in career, your, your career is sales and you're selling a service or a product, the hard sell in our day and age doesn't work in our society anymore. There used to be a time when you would get people's attention in this world by being the loudest advertisement. On television, talk real loud. Be belligerent. Talk real fast. Come across as strong and cross and hard, convincing people to buy that vacuum cleaner or to buy that car or to buy that computer. Be more aggressive. The more aggressive you are, there was a time that would convince people to be that way. But today, the heart cell doesn't work anymore. The humble, gentle recommendation of a friend is much more persuasive. And here's the fourth benefit of humility and how it will bless your life. Humility is attractive. Notice what 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 says. But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and, here it is, gentleness. Now I know that this verse, this verse addresses the protege of the Apostle Paul. But this verse also highlights a very important law of life that is true in both men and women. And one of the laws of life is this. I attract what I am. That's what this verse is describing for. That's the law of life. I attract what I am. And what is this verse describing that should be attractive to us? It says, pursue righteousness and a godly life. What does it mean to have a godly life? A godly life, in me, means exemplifying godly characteristics to the point that my life is trying to let Jesus live through me. I want me to be Christ-like in my behavior. And as my behavior becomes more and more Christ-like, it should become attractive to others. I attract what I am. That's a law of life. So this godliness, this righteousness, comes with other characteristics, which the Bible says in 1 Timothy here, it comes with other characteristics, which includes faith. I'm going to trust God in every area of my life. It includes love, means I'm going to be loving to all and unselfish. It talks about perseverance, endurance. It means that I'm going to be a person that never gives up. I don't quit. I am diligent. I am determined to see things through. And there's a characteristic of gentleness. 
That's humility. Strength under control. Let me show you how this works from an Old Testament story found in the book of Ruth. You probably have heard this story, remember this story about Boaz and Ruth. And Boaz is this young businessman and he's very successful. He's got a big wheat farm and that wheat farm is quite prosperous. And one day he's looking out onto his fields and he sees some stragglers on his field taking the leftover of the harvest. And these homeless people are there. The very poor are going into the orchards and going into the fields. And after the harvest, they're finding all the leftovers. It's, it was what's called gleaning. And as these people are gleaning and Boaz is looking out there, he sees one of these people he's never seen before. It's this person, this woman named Ruth. She's very poor. Very poor because her husband had died. She's a widow. And on top of that, Ruth has decided to take care of her aged mother-in-law. And even though she has no legal responsibility to take care of her mother-in-law, she felt like God wanted her to take care of her. And so she's out there in the field picking up the scraps of the leftover of the harvest. She's in the fields of Boaz. Now Boaz, Boaz could have been rude. He could have been very demanding and said, get off my property. All you people, get off my property. This is my property. You have no right to be harvesting my grain. But Boaz wasn't ruthless, nor was he rude. Boaz was gentle, and he was kind with Ruth to this very stranger, this total stranger that he had no idea who she was. In fact, when you look at the Bible in Ruth chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, look how Ruth describes Boaz. Look at how she responds to his kindness. This is an example of humility. She says, I hope I continue to bless you, sir. Now notice this. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your work. That's what's called attractive humility. The kindness, the gentleness that Boaz displayed, that emulated and came out of his life. This characteristic of godliness, this gentleness that just flowed out of his life to people who were in need. That's attractive humility. God blesses people who exemplify that characteristic. The fifth benefit of embracing humility is that humility earns respect. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 16 says, A gracious woman gains respect, but ruthless men gain only wealth. Humility in both men and women is a prerequisite to leadership. If you want to be a leader in any area of life, in any type of capacity, you will have to learn about this topic of humility. If you want to be a leader in the church, if you want to be a leader in government, if you want to be a leader in business, if you want to be a leader in your neighborhood community or school or any other civic organization, every leader is or should be a 
gentle and humble person. The greatest leaders of all time were the most humble. In fact, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that noted a recent study that said, humble leaders inspire close teamwork, less absenteeism, lower turnover of employees, and the company does higher quality work. That article defined a humble leader as someone who is aware of their own weaknesses, is appreciative of other people's strengths. It's talked about that these leaders tended to avoid the spotlight, and it gave credit to those, leaders give credit to those whom credit is due. See, humility earns respect, and the more humble you are, the more respected you're going to be as a leader and person. Perhaps one of the greatest leaders in the Bible was Moses. In fact, the Bible says Moses, Moses was the only other humble person that the Bible describes other than Jesus. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it said, Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. No other person in the Bible is mentioned as humble other than Jesus. Moses is the only other person that the Bible specifically calls out as humble. Yet, do you know what Moses' most persistent sin was? And, and, and sometimes you can't wrap your head around this. How the Bible can, can identify somebody as being humble, and yet he had this persistent sin. The most persistent sin in Moses' life was that he had a problem with anger. He had anger management issues, a violent temper that got him into trouble throughout his entire life. And yet the Bible says he's the most humble person. And you think to yourself, well, how could that be? One day, Moses got so angry, he killed an Egyptian. Another time, when God gave him the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, he got so angry when he came off the mountain and he saw the people partying and celebrating, having an orgy, and he throws the tablets on the ground breaking the Ten Commandments that he spent 40 days receiving from the Lord. Another time when the people were thirsty in the desert, he disobeyed God by hitting a rock with a stick instead of speaking to the rock like the the Lord had instructed him to do. How does a person, how does a person who has a lifelong problem with anger be called humble in the Bible? Because Moses was recognized as humble because he was teachable. When he was confronted by people about areas of his life that needed to change, he listened and he learned from them. And that's the real issue in all of our lives, isn't it? The real issue in all of us is are we teachable people? When someone points issues out or problems out in our lives, do we humbly listen and respond with gentleness? Or do do we respond with an angry attitude or a dismissive attitude and kind of write that person off? Something to think about when we talk about humility. 
something to understand, something to think about. And here's one last benefit of humility. Humility is a witness to unbelievers. Humility is a witness to unbelievers. Titus chapter 3, this is a very critical, crucial verse. Titus chapter 3, verse 2. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Oh, that's an important phrase. That's an important verse. Be gentle and show true humility. I want you to listen real closely to this. This this is incredibly important. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian, this verse is instructing us with a very important instruction. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not allowed to speak evil of anyone. And you are not allowed to be quarrelsome. Instead, the Bible is saying, You must be gentle with everyone and you must show humility to everybody. As a Christian, you can't malign people. You can't slander people. You can't do personal attacks on social media against people. Followers of Jesus, listen, followers of Jesus should never speak evil of anyone, including people who may have hurt you. That means you don't speak against people even if they have different political beliefs than you do. Can, can, I, can I just tell you something? And I'm going to be completely honest. If any of us, if we actually obey this verse in Titus, the people that you are going to be criticized the most by our fellow Christians. Did you hear what I just said? If you actually obey this verse, if you take this verse as your life verse and you actually obey it, the people who you are going to be criticized the most by are other Christians. People ask, are you left-wing or right-wing? I don't know. All I know is that for an airplane to fly, it needs two wings. People ask, are you red or blue or orange or green? I don't know. Because I know that no political party that I know of gets it right. Liberals don't get it right all the time. Conservatives don't get it right all the time. Certainly the NDP, the Green Party, the Independents don't get it right all the time. There is, listen, there is something more important than politics, political platforms, COVID mandates, and convoys. There's something way more important than that. And that is this. Do people know Jesus? Am I, as a Christian, exemplifying Christ? Am I as a Christian exemplifying Christ in a world of non-believers? Because non-believers are watching us as Christians to see how we treat, how we interact 
with people during times of pressures and uncertainty. People are not going to trust in Jesus until they see the followers of Jesus Christ acting in a critical manner. Do you as a Christian live with integrity? Are you a, as a Christian, are you humble? As a Christian, are you a person who is living a loving lifestyle? Are you as a Christian compassionate to those who you come in contact with? Are you different when the pressure is on? How are you responding when the pressures are on in your life? Listen, it doesn't matter what people believe or how they act or how irreligious people are. The Bible says in this verse, this is why it's so important, the Bible says that I should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Everyone needs to be treated courteously whether you agree with them or not. Because humility witnesses to the unbelief. Let me wrap up this message. And I want us to get very practical for a moment and simply identify just three things. Just three things that you and I can do during a week where we can show humility to a world. The first thing is when somebody serves me, be understanding and not demanding. That's what humility is. It's strength under control. I'm talking about people who serve us. The waiters and the waitresses, clerks in stores, bank tellers, people in fast food restaurants, maybe a secretary or some official in some governmental office. People who are serving us and stand ready to serve us. We need to... Be less demanding of them. A while back, Gabby and I were in a Dairy Queen and standing in line, we observed this young teenager who was very frustrated. Probably, it was probably her first job and she was absolutely frustrated in training, making mistakes. And her supervisor was speaking to her in just incredibly demanding tone. And the more demanding that this supervisor came against this, the more pressure she, she felt. And, and then the customers were becoming agitated and irritated because the orders weren't correct. I mean, it was chaos. And into this type of situation, there is a great opportunity to show gentleness and compassion. You see, the secret, the secret to receiving great service is don't demand. Treat people with respect. Be considerate of their moments, of their feelings, what they're going through right at the moment. And when you're all said and done, especially in a restaurant, give them a nice tip. The second thing, when someone disagrees with me, be tender. I'm not saying that humility means that you cave into your convictions. A lot of people, listen, I'm not saying that You cave into your convictions. You need to hold on to your convictions. But a lot of people make verbal overkill in order to prove a point. Their discussions become 
argumentative because they look at every discussion as a win and lose proposition. And what we have to decide when we encounter and when we engage with someone who disagrees with us, what we have to decide is this. Do I want to win this conversation, this argument, or do I want to be a friend to that person? I love what Romans chapter 14 verse 1 says. I love this verse, especially the way it's written in the message translation. Notice these words. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. That means I can be friends with people who have different viewpoints than me. I can be friends with people who belong to different churches and different denominations. They're not my enemies. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump over, don't jump all over them every time they do or say something that you don't agree with. Man, I'm telling you right now, that's exactly the opposite of what people are doing on social media today. Can I just repeat that again? Getting quiet in the sanctuary. Don't jump all over them every time. That's these fellow believers. Don't jump all, all over them every time they do or say something that you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on their opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Number three, just the practical, some practical things. Number three, when somebody disappoints me, be gentle, not judgmental. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Instead, be kind to each other. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, forgave you. Do you know what, do you know what angered Jesus the most? Do you want to know what angered Jesus the most? What angered Jesus the most was self-righteous people who thought they were appointed by God to be judges on earth by being judgmental of everyone else. That's what angered Jesus the most. Friends, we need to learn to cut people some slack. And we need to extend lots of grace to people. We need to learn that. You see, God has forgiven you a whole... God has forgiven you of a whole lot of stuff. God has forgiven you a whole, of a whole lot of stuff more than you are ever going to be required to forgive someone else. So cut people slack. Be a little bit more graceful and forgive everybody of their shortcomings. And as I summarize, 
Can I just summarize my own paraphrase of what Jesus is trying to say here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5? This, this, this third important, very important little tidbit of, hey, if you can embrace this, God, God's going to bless your life. So what Jesus is trying to teach us, here's my paraphrase. It's very simple. You may want to write this down. Listen, happiness. If you want to be a happy person in this life, you want to feel the blessing of God on your life, happiness is when you can love and when you can accept people who are not perfect. That's my paraphrase to what Jesus is saying. Happiness is when you can love and accept people who are not perfect. Let's pray together. Jesus, sometimes I feel I am so short in this area of humility. It's not something we talk about, Lord. It's not something that we embrace very easily in our life. But Holy Spirit, I pray that somehow in my simple presentation, that somehow, Lord, you will take these simple words of this message and implant something in our hearts to make us all more humble, that we will become more gentle, compassionate, and loving, and that we would not be agitated so easily, but that we would walk in this wonderful blessing that you provide for us, Lord, if we can learn humility, then we discover true happiness in our life. I pray this for those who are watching online right now, for those who are here in this sanctuary. Oh God, I pray, may we be inspired towards humility. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior all God's people said, 